You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Our scripture text is Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. So if you've got your Bible with you, I hope you do. You can open that up there. There is uh, Bible apps probably on your phone. You can fire that up. That works too. And there's probably a pew Bible maybe within reach. And uh, if you don't have one, just steal someone, one nearby you. Just take it right out of their hands. They won't mind. They're a Christian after all. They'll say, please, take mine. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, go to Philippians chapter 4. We're in our series here, To Live is Christ, a study through the book of Philippians. To live is Christ is a phrase from the book of Philippians, but it also in many ways captures the heart of the message of the book because it's in, in many regards a call to live for Christ, but also has a lot to say about how we do that, how we live for Jesus in this world. It's a very practical book, and today's message, will, I think, I trust, will be an example of that. The title of my sermon today is, When Christians Are in Conflict. When Christians Are in Conflict. And in our passage, we will see that Paul is addressing a particular problem at Philippi. And here's the deal. Two godly women who were well-known, well-respected, well-loved were not getting along. And things had gotten painful for them. The conflict had gone public. And now in Philippians 4, Paul addresses them and the situation directly. He names them uh, by name. Let me read to you the text. Now, I'm going to read from verse 1 because I want you to, I want you to hear and feel uh, the tone with which Paul addresses the situation. I think verse 1 helps us to, to get a sense of the tone that he's using. Okay, so we're focusing on verses 2 and 3, but verse 1 sets the tone. So Philippians 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, or my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you hear, feel the tone there? So there's a firmness there. Stand firm in the Lord. There's, there's going to be a call here to, to do something. There's a call to, uh, to, to living a life worthy of the gospel in every respect. But you can feel the tone, though, right? It's, it's a loving tone, it's, and it's an affectionate tone. He, say, he calls them, he says, they're people that I love and long for, my joy and crown. He calls them his beloved. So there's the tone. Now he speaks directly to these two women. Verse 2, I entreat, or I plead with, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now, we don't know who the true companion is because Paul doesn't say who that is. It seems evident that the church of Philippi would have understood who he was talking about. And there's lots of suggestions about who it could be. At the end of the day, though, we don't know for sure. What we know, though, is that somebody in that church that Paul is calling on to help these women. Yes, I ask you, verse 3, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. Don't know who Clement is either. The only thing we know about him 
is he has a nice name, and he was in the church at Philippi, and he was on mission for the Lord. But we don't know anything else about him, who he is. But he's mentioned by name. Apparently, he's known in the church and the rest of the fellow workers. Notice what he says about them, whose names are in the book of life. So question, are Iodia and Syntyche, are they Christians? They are. Their names are in the book of life. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But that's, that's, like, that's Christianese for it. They're saved. They know Jesus. They're saved. So let me read that to you again. Verses 2 and 3. I entreat or I plead with Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I have three questions for you to begin. Number one, is there someone with whom you are currently in conflict? And I'm thinking especially of believers because our text is addressing conflict amongst Christians. So maybe you have a conflict right now with somebody who's not a believer. There's some things that you'll hear today that I trust will be of help to you in that. But you should know that the Bible's got lots of things to say in other places that would give us wisdom and guidance on how to get along with people outside of the faith. This text, though, is addressing people in the faith, in the local church, people you go to church with, you worship with, you serve with. And so my question is, is there another Christian right now with, that you are in conflict with right now? Or to say it a little more clearer, are you in conflict right now with another Christian? Question number two. Are there two or more Christians with whom you are on, on good terms who are not on good terms with each other? Anybody, think about your, in, in, in your, your life right now, especially believers. Are there two Christians who are not getting along but you get along with both of them. Question number three. If you or others in our church come into conflict, do you know what to do in order to help make peace? Like, are you equipped? Do you know what needs to happen, what needs to be done in order to bring about reconciliation? Are you equipped as a peacemaker? Those are my questions. Are you in conflict? Are you in good terms with people who are in conflict? Do you know what to do in order to make peace? It's sad but true that conflict among Christians is common. I mean, we stand in grace, but in our sinfulness, it doesn't take much for us to be at odds with each other. What do you do when that happens? Well, that's what this text addresses here. It probably isn't a newsflash for you. But God wants his children to get along. Did you know that? He wants his kids to get along. And uh, uh, that's, that's a, an important reality. But of course, he wants us to not just get along, but also to really love each other. Like by getting along, we mean not just tolerate each other, but really care about each other, serve shoulder to shoulder together, to treasure Christ together, to care for one another, to reach the world together. He wants us to live in harmony, in, in unity, to be truly one in Christ. That's what he wants. But what do you do when that's not happening? When we aren't united in Christ? The good news is that God is at work in us, and I believe he's at work in us right now to make us want that. 
God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's at work in your life. If you know Jesus, he's working in your life to be inclined toward wanting to be united with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. He's By the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God works in us to help us to make peace with one another and to truly love one another. And I think that part of God's provision for us is passages like this one that teaches us something about what to do when we are in conflict and how to help others who are in conflict when we're not in the middle of it. And that's actually the two different angles that this text takes. Chapter 4, verse 2 we see what God wants from people who are themselves fighting. What he wants when, when his children are not getting along, what he wants them to do when you're at odds with another Christian. That's verse 2. And then verse 3, he shows us that he wants what he wants the church to do when its members are fighting, when there's relational friction. Now, Yodia and Syntyche were in some sort of disagreement. I don't know what it was about. I don't know who started it. Don't know how long it had been going on. Don't know who in the church was on whose side. But what we do know is that something has come between them. Maybe it was a, a, an issue of strategy. Like they both loved the advance of the gospel. Maybe there was a, a, a mission strategy issue that they were disagreeing on. Or maybe it was like a secondary theological issue. Not a primary issue, but a, a secondary theological issue. If it was a primary theological issue, Paul, I'm sure, would have addressed it. But maybe it was a disputable issue that they were, that they were disagreeing on. I, I don't know. Maybe it was a personal issue. Like maybe something happened personally in their relationship where they're not speaking to each other and they're not getting along together and it's known. Or, or maybe somebody did something or didn't do something or said something or didn't say something. I don't know. I don't know. But something happened. That we do know. Where once there was fellowship and worship and ministry together, now there is tension and friction and division. And Paul says that must change. It has to change question, of course, is how? How do you bring about peace when peace is missing? How do you, how do you resolve conflict with another believer? Well, I want to start here. I'm going to give you four facts about conflict among Christians. Okay, four flags, four flags, four facts about conflict among Christians. Number one, it happens. It happens. Conflict happens. Did you know that? I know it never happens here, ever, I know. But it does happen among Christians where there's conflict. It happened to Iodia and Syntyche. You know something else? It happened to Paul. The end of Acts chapter 15, if you've read the book of Acts, you might remember this, that at the end of Acts chapter 15, him and Barnabas, of all people, Barnabas was a huge encourager guy. Paul and Barnabas got in a huge fight together and ended up parting ways. And there's part of me that thinks, my spidey sense tells me that I think that Paul has in mind in this situation, he doesn't want that happening to Diodia and Syntyche, what happened to him and Barnabas. And so he addresses it with them, he brings it up. But we see here that we see throughout church history, we see across denominational lines, we see in every place that churches have been planted, there has been conflict. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I hear that, and there's a call for effort 
to maintain peace. We already have peace together in Jesus. We're united together in Jesus, so we don't create peace. We're called to maintain peace. And the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep it. So it takes effort. If it takes effort, then it's likely that conflict is going to happen. We can anticipate it. We won't be shocked and surprised when it happens. We might be saddened. But we know, we know that it happens. And it happens over all kinds of things. Theology, music, money, methods, means, even Bible translations. There's places in the world that they still don't have the Bible in their own language. We got all kinds of, and even that's, that's a cause of friction and fighting sometimes. Priorities, styles of parenting, Right? You want to throw, you want to create an explosion? Just weigh in on somebody else's parenting to their face and see how it goes from there, right? Just the mama bear and the papa bear get all their backs up and rah! And it's, it's really, it's really cute if it wasn't so ugly. Styles of clothing, uh, things that have been said, not said, things that I thought a person have said. Just think in your own life. Think in your own life about how many different kinds of things have been a source of conflict in your life. All kinds of stuff. I think of two, two people I know who are in the same line of work in the same church. And they've had conflict together. It's been difficult because they're in the same line of work in the same church. And they're kind of actually, in the business world, they're kind of each other's competition. And oh, isn't it fun and games when one employee goes and works for the other guy's company? That's a test. I think of people who have had years of misunderstanding of one another and unresolved conflict along the way, and it's, it's broiled up and it's all mounted up like a gigantic, big, fat, stinky snowball. Betrayal of confidence, criticism over how ministry is done or not done, all kinds of things are the makings of conflict. But the first thing I want you to recognize is it does happen. Second, there are many reasons for it, such as our limited perspective. The fact that we don't know everything gets in the way of us getting along because we don't understand things. We don't see the whole picture. We don't often understand where the other person's coming from and why they think the way they think, why they don't just think the way that I think. If you all thought the way I think, we'd be great. That's how we think. The other factor, of course, another factor is that we're a diverse gathering, and the, the Church of Jesus Christ is made up of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and cultures with differing expectations and preferences, and you get them all together. You get a whole group of redeemed sinners together, and it can be a beautiful thing, but sometimes it can be a messy thing. The other thing, another thing to not overlook is the reality that we have an enemy, Satan, who loves to divide, and I'll tell you something else, he's really good at it. Really good at getting in there and stirring up trouble. And if that's not enough, we've got our own selves to deal with. And our own hearts, that leads me to the third fact about conflict. There are many reasons for it. Third, there's a common source of it. And the common source of conflict among Christians, I have to tell you, is us, our hearts. James 4, verse 1, James says, he asks this question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Hmm. Well, is it not this? That your passions are at war among you. 
that your passions are at war within you. Your passions, your desires, your, your desires that get out of control. The, the, your, heart, your heart is where conflict starts. Ken Sandy put it this way, conflict starts in the heart. That's right. There's many contributing factors in conflict, but the primary starting place is in me. I mentioned Ken Sandy. He's got a really helpful book called The Peacemaker. And in one part of that book, he, he sort of helps us to think through, based on James 4, to think through the, the progression that happens when we go from desiring something, from, from a personal desire to relational disaster. He sort of helps us trace that through in four steps. First of all, we desire something. And it could be an innocent good thing, like just time with our kids or our family or more time with our grandkids. Or, or, or it could be um, uh, just, I want a growing church. I mean, those, are, those are all good things. But those things, can, those, that's a desire. Sometimes the desires can get out of hand and lead to other things. It could be other things like revenge or sex or money or convenience or control. All kinds of things. And, and what happens is, is that, or, or it also could, the other thing, this, I want to say this, it could be just keeping something I already have. Like, I don't want anybody changing anything. Don't change something on me. And it's a desire that I have. Now, now what, what happens, though, is that sometimes when I go, from, I go from a desire that I have, that desire, if left unchecked, can increase and build and get bigger. And I go from desiring something to now demanding something. So I desire and then I demand. I must have this. I'll only be, I'll only be happy if I get this or if things stay the way that they are. Sandy writes, we, we see something as essential to our fulfillment and well-being, and it moves, us from being, moves it from being a desire to a demand. The more we want something, the more that we are convinced we deserve something. And so we demand it. And when I don't get my way or somebody stands in the way of me getting what I want, the third thing is I judge. I desire, I demand, I judge. When others have what we want, or when others stand in the way of what we want or fail us, or are trying to change stuff that we don't want changed, we become resentful, angry, bitter, and subtly or even overtly hostile. And that leads to the fourth thing, I punish. I desire, I demand, I judge, I punish. I make you pay, sister. I make you pay, brother. Of course, we don't say that, but we do it find ways to manipulate or to pressure people into giving us what we want or make them pay for resisting it. I love how Sandy puts this. He says, our children may use pouting, stomping, or shooting dirty looks to hurt us for not meeting their desires. Like kids don't hide it, right? But adults, adults impose guilt, shame, withdrawal from the relationship. You ever experienced that? Where it's just like, it's just icy cold. Like, did somebody just turn down the temperature in here, or we got a conflict? You can see it, and I clam up and withdraw, sending subtle, unpleasant cues over long periods of time. Let me ask you, have you seen this progression? Like, have you seen this happen in other people? Have you seen this happen in yourself? Where you go from desiring something to demanding to judging to punishing? There's a common source in conflict, and it's our hearts. That's where it begins. That's a fact. The fourth and final fact I want to share with you is this, that there are often serious problems caused by it, by conflict. 
Romans 12 and 14 says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. In other words, unresolved conflict, bitterness, rivalry, can have a destructive impact on a local church. It affects the testimony of the church because we've got a gospel message that we no longer adorn. We talk about being united to Jesus and reconciling and the forgiveness of sins, but we don't forgive one another and we're not united. And it's a betrayal of the gospel. And what's more is that God does not bless his children when they're fighting. He doesn't bless the ministry of a local church when the, people, when the, the local church is fracturing. We want to make a difference. We want to make an impact in this world. We cannot ignore the problem of conflict because there's serious problems caused by it. But that's what we do too often is we kind of excuse it or, or sweep it away and we don't address it. Sort of like me, my first car that I ever had was a K-car wagon. I don't remember those, the K-car Chrysler K-car wagon thing was a piece of junk, which is probably why me as a teenager, it was a good car for me to drive. And uh, great for getting parts, because there's a ton of them in the, re- in the junkyard. You just go down to the wreckers and get whatever parts you needed. But anyway, this one time I was driving, I'm pretty sure it was the middle of winter, which is actually what likely saved the car, is in the winter. And uh, I was driving along, and I noticed the temperature gauge was all the way over on the red line, like hot. But I just thought, well, I don't know, the car's driving fine. Doesn't seem to be any real issues. The gauge is probably busted. So I just carried on and drove it home. Ended up having it checked out at the shop, and the mechanic just put lost his mind. He's like, no, 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 that temperature gauge is working, and when you see it go hot, you need to pull over and shut off the vehicle. Oh, yeah, why is that? Because you can ruin your car. You'll destroy the engine. And, but that's what we do sometimes. There's conflict comes along. We're, we're like that. We sort of ignore it and push it aside and make excuses for it. We have to recognize there's often serious problems caused by it. Now, I should say that conflict can be a good thing. So, I mean, we're pretty down on conflict here this morning generally, but it can be a good thing. It can be an opportunity to bring clarity to the truth. It can help to foster deeper fellowship when we better understand each other and appreciate each other. It can be an opportunity to put Christ on display when we forgive each other and reconcile and bear with one another. Sometimes confronting false teaching is it's a conflict that has to be had that's actually good and it's, it's healthy. But all too often it devolves into nastiness. So Alex Strzok says this. He's, he says, what's wrong is not conflict, but what's wrong is for believers to behave in an ungodly, unbiblical manner in the midst of their disagreements. Sadly, such behavior is not uncommon He says, I have talked to many people who've experienced an agonizing church split. Often what was most upsetting was not the disagreement, but the nasty politics that accompanied it. The mean words expressed, the angry attitudes and childish behaviors, the awful displays of of pride and selfishness, the backbiting, the minimizing of sin and outright disobedience to God's word, and the lack of forgiveness or even interest in reconciliation. Sound familiar? Are we foolish enough or naive enough to think that this couldn't happen here? So what do you do when you're in conflict? How do you handle it? Verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. Or you put your name in there. And the other person's name in there. I entreat you to what? Agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. I summarize it this way. When Christians are in conflict, 
they must agree that what is shared together is greater than what pushes them apart. Agree in the Lord. He doesn't wade into the, 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 the pros and cons of the differing positions. He doesn't get into the weeds of the minutia of the details of the disagreement, but instead he calls them to agree in the Lord. I want for you this morning to feel the weight and the glory and the preciousness of that phrase, in the Lord, because that is their position, is in the Lord by faith. And if you are in conflict with another Christian, that's your position too. Actually, I think a great exercise to do is to go back through Philippians and look for places where we see expressions of what it means to be in the Lord, what we share in the Lord. And I just do, let me just do it real quickly with you here for a moment. So you can get a sense of the weight of this phrase, in the Lord. In the Lord, way back in Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul says that we are saints. You know, in Jesus, in the Lord, we are saints. That's our common identity. You are, as soon as you become a Christian, you are a saint. You may not look like a saint. You may not feel like a saint. Other people may not think of you as a saint, but you are one. You're called a saint, and so is that Christian brother or sister that you're fighting with. You're saints. You share a great, glorious, enduring identity that God has given you both. Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, we're told that as believers, our partnership is in the gospel. In other words, we have a shared mission, a shared purpose, a shared passion. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul talks about us sharing many blessings like encouragement in Christ, comfort from love. He loves us, and with the love with which he loves us, we love one another, and that's a comfort through difficult times. We share that together. We have, chapter 2, verse 1, participation in the Spirit. We've got fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. God himself indwells you and the person you can't stand. Think about that. You've got a lot in common. Affection, sympathy. Chapter 2, verse 12, Paul talks about the fact that we have a salvation, a shared salvation. You and that other Christian have this in common. You've both been plucked right out of hell and spared God's judgment. That's a big thing to have in common. You can high-five each other over that and praise God together. He saved me. He saved you. Chapter 2, verse 15, we're told that we are children of God. Do you know what that means? Your family. You're, you actually are brother and sister. Like we, You know why we call each other brothers and sisters in the local church? It's not just because it sounds all nice and fuzzy and warm. It's because we are brothers and sisters. In fact, that person you're in conflict right now, if you are both in Christ, you, your family connection will last forever. It will outlast your regular family connection. Think about that. Stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, forever. So why don't you try to get along, maybe? Forever's a long time. Oh, yeah, did you forget that too? Philippians 3 and 20, we're citizens of heaven. You're from the same country. Ever had the experience of, of traveling abroad? And you see someone else has got a Canadian flag on their bag or on their shirt or something like, like oh, Canada. It's just like this connection you have, like Tim Hortons and the Tragically Hip and coffee and just a big hug and yeah, Canada, woo. It's just like, where it is this? You're far away from home, but you've got this bond. Well, listen, that's what we got too. Not Canada, I'm talking heaven. Like forever, like we're gonna, we've got a common home, a common destiny. 
In chapter 3, verse 21, we'll be glorified together. That person you are at odds with, God is going to raise them from the grave. He's going to raise your sorry rear end from the grave. He's going to transform you both, give you bodies that are fit for eternity, and you'll live forever in heaven. That's a lot in common. That is weighty. Agree in the Lord. I want you to feel that today. In the Lord, you share so much. Now, I thought about how am I going to illustrate this? I'm just like, Lord, help me. This may not work for you, but just, I'm just trying. I'm trying, okay? Trying. I just need Colin. Can you come and give me a hand here? This, this thing I texted you about last night, this is it now. So he has no idea what we're doing. I just asked him if he could help me. He's like, thumbs up, sure. And we're gonna go. Oh, it's right here. Now, I'm going to, um, uh, just give me a second here. Got a couple of bags here. You can stand right up there so everybody can see you and me. And um, now here's the thing. We're going to leave that sitting there. Can you just hold that by the handles? Okay, thanks. Now, in the Lord, that's a weighty thing. But Colin and I, we got a disagreement together. I mean, we don't actually, but we're just pretending. Like, we're at odds together, right? Like, I mean, I love Gaither music. He loves Hillsong. So I don't know what you love. Maybe you don't like it. Anyway, we got this thing going on, and, and, then, and then it's not really a big deal. But then, but then I said something to him that was actually quite unkind and unloving and probably sinful. Well, if it was unkind and unloving, it is sinful. And then I said that to him, didn't repent of it. And then he went and told a bunch of other people, which is gossiping, and got them all sort of riled up. And now this thing is like a big thing. And now we've got this conflict. Like, you ever been in that situation where the issue is no longer the issue? And now it's that, and we're not really speaking to each other that much. We don't really like each other that much. But, but here's, so, so here's the thing. This is our conflict. And I want you to see this. This is a weighty thing. This is right out of my yard, okay? So this is going to go in this bag here. Now, don't drop it on your foot. We really will have a conflict, right? All right. So there we go. Now, now there's weight to this. Now, he and we, we share this together. This is... I, what I, I don't want you to mishear me this morning. I'm not saying the conflict you're in is nothing. It is something. It's painful. It hurts. There's things that have happened. There's things that should have happened. And you feel the weight of that. There's substance to it. It's a thing. But here's the thing that Paul is saying. is Let's think about what we have in Christ. You can set that down. I get to hold this up. Now, remember, I just, we, we just thought through Philippians. You're going to have to help me because my memory, my notes are over there. My memory is terrible. So think about what was the first. Oh, it was saints. We're saints. We're saints together. That's our identity. That's a, that's a weighty thing too, isn't it? So we're going to put that in there. All right. And um, what else? Oh, we're partners in the gospel. We have a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got a shared passion, a shared purpose. Just don't let this drop on your foot. And, uh, and then, oh, remember those, those things in Philippians 2? Like we have, um, we have partnership in the Spirit, so the Spirit indwells us. Uh, we've got comfort from love. We've got encouragement in Christ that's getting heavy. If you need to set it down, you can. And then, and then not only that, we're, I mean, we're citizens of heaven. This, that deserves a big one, don't you think? That's a big one. We'll put that in there, okay? And then uh, this is some. This is we're saved. We're saved. I mean, that's a big stone. I'm just out of rocks here. I don't have any more. So now, now here's the thing. This is you and I. We've got we've got a lot in the Lord, don't we? A lot. There's weight here. That's not nothing. But this ain't nothing either. In fact, this is way weightier than that. But here's what happens in conflict. In conflict, oftentimes we switch the bags, we get it confused. We get feeling like and thinking like, this is the conflict, and that's the Lord. But loved ones, listen, it's what you have in the Lord, we have in the Lord is so much greater than, than this over here. 
I mean, I can carry it. It's probably my fault anyway, brother. Like, it is. It is. Maybe we're going to put another rock in here now after that comment. <laughs> Agree in the Lord. Which is weightier? Loved ones, we have so much in the Lord. Feel the weight of that phrase of what we share in common. Thanks so much, brother, for doing this. Give him a hand there. Encourage him. Come up here. Appreciate that. I worked up a sweat doing that, I'll tell you that. Agree in the Lord. How massive is that? The Lord in the midst of your conflict. It's not enough just that we know these things. It's vital that we do them, that we agree in the Lord to get clear about what we have in common together. Too often, mere lip service is paid to Christian unity. But very little effort is made toward resolving conflict with each other or exercising humility or confession or prayer. We frequently have this attitude that, oh, unity is important, so just unify with me. No. When you agree in the Lord, though, when you fix your focus on what you have in Christ together, it helps to motivate you to make peace. To motivate you. See, we, we, we can't just keep being like this because we're in the Lord together. And that's so much weightier than this thing that we're dealing with. It also gives us perspective to see, like, how big is this issue really? We're not saying it's nothing. But are we maybe, you and me, making this to be a whole lot bigger than it really is or should be in light of the massiveness that we share in Christ? It empowers us to extend grace, to listen, and to bear with and I think helps us to be discerning about whether what it is we're fighting about is even worth fighting about at all. I mean, if the situation, if it's dishonoring to God, if it's hurting other people, if it's hurting the other person, and if it's harming your relationship, then it's worth working it out. We've got to have some conversations here. We've got to try to reconcile this. Sometimes, though, when we consider what we have in the Lord and we consider the true lack of weight of the thing that we're disagreeing about, sometimes mature believers just say, you know what, let's just forget it. It's not worth it. When you agree in the Lord, you're focusing on the Lord, giving perspective, motivation, grace to resolve conflict. We must agree that what is shared together is greater than what pushes us apart. That's how you're going to address it. You start there, and you stay there, and you work it through knowing, knowing that in Christ we share so much, so we are going to work this out. Now, Paul was very clear to Yodi and Syntyche, wasn't he, that they were to agree in the Lord. Full stop, right? Agree in the Lord. But he also, knew, he also knew that saying it and even them determining in their hearts that they want it, that sometimes even that's not enough. 
that sometimes when it comes to resolving conflict among believers, they need help. And that's what he does in verse 3, is he calls on this unknown true companion, Paul calls, calls him, this person, to help these women, to help them do what? To help them agree in the Lord. And so that's, I guess, the last main point I want to make, is that when Christians are in conflict, they might need help. They might need help. Maybe not, maybe they don't. If somebody comes to you asking, can you help? A good question to ask is like, have you talked to that person yet? No, there may be special circumstances why they haven't. And you graciously, wisely hear them out. There may be times and occasions when you would go with them for that initial conversation. But loved ones, sometimes those initial conversations reveal the fact that the people involved can't resolve this on their own. And they need help. And that seems to be the case with the Odean Syntyche, which is why Paul called on this true companion to help these women. You see that? Help these women. To assist them. See, sometimes preaching and personal Bible reading and prayers and knowing the truth isn't enough. I say that carefully. But sometimes those things aren't enough. Sometimes what's needed is God's provision of one another ministry. Where we take the truth of God's word and we help apply it to people's hearts. Where we pray, we intercede with prayers for God's grace. One another ministry is often needed. That's why we do small groups here. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's a major reason why we do small groups. Because in God's economy, he... He has not fitted you to live the Christian life, let alone re deal with conflict entirely on your own. You need the ministry of the saints. In fact, we see that Ephesians 4 says that God has given gifted people to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, one aspect of the work of the ministry is helping other believers who aren't getting along to get along, and not just to get along, but to love each other and to agree in the Lord. It reminds me of a, a weight loss commercial I heard in the radio a while back, and it said this, it gave, gave the little plug for what they do, and the, the tagline at the end said, because if you could do it alone, you would have done it already. I thought that will preach. That will preach. We need each other sometimes to help us resolve conflict. Now, I want to ask you this question. Are you equipped? Are you ready? Are you willing to be that helper? You say, oh, I don't know about that. I appreciate your humility. But I want to point out something to you that as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a member of a local church, it's actually something you may indeed be called to. And mature and godly people will aspire to be ready to do when needed. Just like this true companion who's called upon by Paul, you got to help these women. You may be called upon to help brothers and sisters agree in the Lord. You say, well, how do I do that? Like, what do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? You give them boxing gloves and hope it doesn't get out of hand? Like, what do you, how do you work this out? How do you help them? Well, don't, don't give them boxing gloves, please. I've made a note of at least three things here from this text. You can help those in conflict by, one, addressing the matter lovingly and directly. Addressing the matter lovingly and directly. That's what Paul does, didn't he? Lovingly, we saw the tone in verse 1. But then verse 2, like he just gets at it, doesn't he? He names the people, Yodia and Syntyche. You two sisters, 
You must agree in the Lord. I'm pleading with you. Please, agree in the Lord. This has to change. Loving and direct. He names them. He identifies the situation. Doesn't ignore it. Doesn't pretend it's not there. Doesn't tell the church. Just look the other way. It'll, time heals all wounds. No. He's not vague or cryptic. He's direct and clear. That's what you can do. Be direct and clear. You can say, dear brother, dear sister, it appears to me that you and this other person are not getting along. I could totally have this wrong. Please forgive me if I do. But it appears that way. Addressing the matter lovingly and directly. Second, affirming the significance of all that they share. You say, how do I help someone? How do I help Christians who are in conflict? Affirm for them the things that they share in common in Christ, in the Lord. That's what Paul does in verse 3, doesn't he? Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have... And then he talks about stuff that they have in common. They've labored side by side with him in the gospel and with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. So they've got a common ambition, right? That Christ would be known. They're on the same mission together. They both love the advance of the gospel. They've got common fellowship like Clement and the rest of the workers. Whoever those people were, they had fellowship together. They all knew them and they shared that in common. We've got our church family in common together. And also, I love my favorite one is the last line. Whose names are in the book of life. Now, the book of life is a phrase that speaks to God's record of those who belong to him. They belong to God. Their names are in this book where you want your name to be. I don't know if you got your name in different places in this world. Have like you ever had your name in the newspaper? Or if you ever had your name mentioned by somebody famous, something like that. Listen, none of that matters at all except for this, that your name's in the book of life. And if you're trusting in Jesus, then your name is in the book of life. So that means you got a home in heaven. You're a child of God. And that's what Yodi and Sintiki have. And that's what you and this person you're fighting with have in common, if they're a believer, is you've got, you've got this, your names are in the book of all books. The book of life. You have that in common. And so what you do as a helper is you point that out. And you don't let the people involved to, to, to lose sight of that. You're not trying to downplay the problem. But you're trying to bring perspective. You're trying to encourage them and help them to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. You'll treat them as the true brothers and sisters they are, not with suspicion, but appeal to them in Christ. Affirm the significance of all that they share. That's how you'll help them. Address it lovingly and directly, affirming the significance of all that they share. Thirdly, how can you help? Assisting by assisting in whatever way is needed for making peace. Whatever's needed. I just love the simplicity of this phrase. Help these women. What do you want me to do? Help them. Yeah, yeah, but, but Paul, but like, like, what do I do, though? Just help them. Okay? In other words, whatever it takes. Need to offer up a room in your house for the two of them to meet privately and quietly? Help them. You need to sit through multiple conversations to referee and to hold each other to account and to make sure that we're not making assumptions about each other. Help them. You need to commit. They need somebody in their corner praying that God would grant them grace. 
to love one another and to understand each other and to agree in the Lord. They need prayer, a prayer partner, a prayer warrior. Help them. Whatever is needed to be a peacemaker, do it. Help them. I was thinking about when in my life I've seen this, and one example came to my mind that I kept coming back to. It's not big and flashy. There's no like... You know, there's no laser show or anything in this illustration. It's just a very simple example of one time when I saw this happen. It involved my wife. Two women, believers, came to her and said, us two are in a disagreement together that we can't resolve. We would like you to come and to sit with us while we try to have another conversation and talk this out. Will you do it? And she did. She went and met with them. You say, what was the issue? I don't know. She didn't tell me. (laughs) Which is a good thing a helper does, is keep confidence. Who are the women? I don't know. She didn't tell me. She just told me generally what she was going to do. But I reflect back on that, and I think, God bless these two women who recognize we've got a disagreement, and we must agree in the Lord, but we can't do it alone. We need help. (laughs) They agreed on that. We need help. And they came to somebody else they knew and trusted who loved the Lord and said, will you help us? And that's what she did. I don't want to say, dear brother, sister, if you love the Lord, you can do this too. You can do this too. You can be that person who sits and helps to clarify issues and apply scripture and remind two combatants that what is shared is greater than what pushes them apart. And you can have the joy of being blessed by the Lord Jesus who said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus loves peacemakers. And he can use you in a mighty way. My question is, are you willing to do it? Deep breath. If the Lord calls you to it, somebody who approaches you with it, or even, even, maybe you see like the Apostle Paul, there's two people who are not getting along. I'm on good terms with both of them. I wonder if you might just carefully, lovingly, cautiously approach them both and again say, I could have this totally wrong. Even though there's probably a big part of you that thinks, I don't think I have this wrong. (laughs) You can tell. But you want to be cautious. You don't want to assume, I may have this totally wrong. But it seems fairly evident that there's a problem here. And I don't want to make assumptions about what it is or who's right or who's wrong, but... I am willing, if you would have me, to try to help you to resolve this. Can I help you? Brother, sister, you can do that. You can do that. If they say no, okay, you back away, you pray for them, and ask the Lord to to work there and to bring about a resolution. But you might be surprised if they say, you know what, we weren't sure anyone was ever going to offer. And they might accept your help. Dear friend, are you right now in conflict with another believer? My word to you, dear friend, is to agree in the Lord. Go to that person and say, so help us, God, we must agree in the Lord. What's it going to take? What have we got to do? What have we got to do to work this out? The Lord is, is too big. There's too much at stake here. Life is too short for us to be at odds with each other. Can, can we work towards agreeing to, with the agreeing together in the Lord. And then if needed, get help. Let's pray about these things together.
Lord, our sinful hearts are dangerous enough to cause all kinds of destruction and sorrow in the last place we ever want to see it. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. Forgive me for attitudes and actions and words that have fueled conflict rather than diffusing it. I pray that we would be a church that's known for Jesus and for being ambassadors of hope, that we would be a people who are marked by agreeing in the Lord. And you would give us, Lord, please, the wisdom, the grace, the humility, the patience, the repentance, Lord, that you would grant to us grace to truly love one another and to overcome differences and to resolve conflict and to walk in unity. Lord, we don't want to talk about unity. We want to walk in unity. We pray for that, Lord. And we also pray that you would equip us with courage and love and grace and wisdom and the fullness of the Spirit to be a helper to those who need help. Lord, make us a church, Lord, that more and more and more are one another ministers, Lord. Lord, already in so many ways you're doing this. We just ask you, Lord, for more of it and that we be faithful in it. Lord, help us not to be fearful, but to be full of courage and grace. Lord, grant us wisdom to discern between when it's not my business and when I should make it my business. Lord, we need your discernment in that. But Lord, most of all, we need you. So would you come? Would you guard us? Would you protect us? Would you heal us? Would you make us a people known for knowing you? In Jesus' name.